Good afternoon, church. Hope everybody's doing well. Let me just share with you some exciting news of what happened yesterday. Yesterday we had our membership workshop and we had around 30 people commit to becoming members here at Grace Bible Church. 30 people, yeah. 30 people said, I'm all in. I'm all in on this mission, shoulder to shoulder of Grace Bible Church. And what is our mission? To lead our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and His church. Now, if you want to call Grace Bible Church your home, if you want to be part of this church and say, I'm all in, there's other membership workshop coming up November 4th. Or if you missed yesterday's workshop, you can sign up for that one. Say you're part of this church, that you belong to this church, and become a member. April, April 2007, that was a day, the day, that I gave myself to Jesus Christ. That was the day that Christ became my Lord and Savior. And I remember coming home and telling my wife, CJ, I don't know what I just experienced I don't know what this is, but what I do know is that now I have rest. Now I have peace. What I felt on that day was just this huge burden lifted off my shoulders. What I had experienced on that day was one of Jesus' promise. A promise that he gives anyone who follows him. And this is what it is. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, come to me. All, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, there's that word again, rest. Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, church, growing up, I was raised Catholic. And I was taught that I had to obey these rules and regulations in order for me to be in good standing with God. In order for me or anyone else to be saved, we had to follow the law. And the moment I would break the law, the moment I would sin, I would have to run to confession, confess my sins, and then I had to do penance for the forgiveness of those sins. The moment I walked out of confession, I would sin. So I had to go back to confession and do penance so that I could be forgiven for those sins which I just committed. But then as soon as I walked out of confession, I had to go back and it was this crazy cycle, a never-ending cycle. And after years of experiencing these laws and rules that I could not keep, I gave up. I gave up on God. I gave up on religion. I gave up on church. I'm not bashing Catholicism. That's not what I'm doing. What I am saying is this, that every single religion, you name it, every single religion in this world has rules. Rules that every single person needs to obey or else. Or else they don't have a chance to be in heaven. See, church, there's a big, big difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says do. The gospel says done. 
I love what I read about religion, the purpose of religion. This is what it says. The purpose of any religion is to achieve the goals of salvation for oneself and others to render due worship and obedience to God. Different religions have different understandings of salvation and God. And this church, unfortunately, is still taught today in our community, in our nation, in the world. And this church is what was being taught back in Jesus' time by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the keepers, quote-unquote, of the law. So you have your Bibles with them, please, with you. Please open them up to Mark chapter 2. We're going to continue our series on the gospel according to Mark. We're going to jump into verse 18. If you do have your journals with you, open them up as well so you can take notes. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Let me catch up to where we were or are starting today. Review what happened last week. Now, last week, we read that Jesus is preaching at this house, this pretty big house. Some people believed it was Peter's house. And so it was so packed that the doorway was blocked, the windows was blocked, everything was blocked. And four men, desperately wanting to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, come to the house, but they realized that they couldn't get in. So what did they do? They went upstairs to the roof. They dug this huge hole. They lowered their friend in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody there freaks out. The Pharisees call, call Jesus out and say, blasphemy. Because everybody knew there that only God had the power to forgive sins. And Jesus was saying, I am he. And so he forgives this man's sins. And this man is healed. Not only is he healed physically, but more importantly, he is healed spiritually. And then soon after, we read that Jesus, again, trying to get away, maybe goes out to the Sea of Galilee. And there he runs into a tax collector by the name of Matthew. And he says, come, follow me. Matthew drops everything and begins to follow Jesus. And then later that evening, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. And now he's surrounded by people like Matthew, the tax collectors, the sinners, the unrighteous. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask his disciples, why? Why is Jesus your leader, your rabbi? Why is he eating with them, the sinners? And then Jesus looks at them and says this, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. These people that are with me at the table. And here's what we're going to pick up today. Verse 18. Chapter 2 of the Gospel according to Mark. And it reads like this. Now John's the disciples, this is John the Baptist. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciple and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples, they do not fast. So some scholars believe that this is happening while he, Jesus, is still at Matthew's house having dinner. So they come to Jesus and say, hey. Look, the disciples of John, John the Baptist, their disciples, his disciples, they're fasting. Even the disciples of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're fasting. How come, Jesus, your followers, your disciples, how come they don't fast? Fasting. It's interesting. Fasting was part of the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law said this, that every Jewish person needed to fast once a year the day of atonement it was a day of repentance it was a day of asking for forgiveness but the pharisees 
had added to that law, the original Mosaic law. And the Pharisees required that every single Jewish person fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, as a sign of mourning. That's what the Pharisees did, add laws to the original law. Who were these people? Who were these Pharisees that we keep reading about? Now, the term Pharisee means separated one. They considered themselves righteous apart from everybody else. They couldn't be with all the unrighteous, sinful people. They clung on to the law. They tried to keep every single detail of the law perfectly. They believed that if they did that, they could identify themselves as true sons of Abraham. And so we, or they, the Jewish people, needed to do the same. And by this time, 600 years later, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, had added so many rules and regulations, hundreds upon hundreds of rules. They had made these oral traditions equal to the Mosaic law or sometimes above the original law given by God, the Mosaic law. They kept these traditions in a document called the Mishnah. Hundreds, again, hundreds upon hundreds of rules and regulations that everybody needed to keep. And they focused on that. And they had missed the meaning, the true meaning behind the law, the purpose of God's law. Verse 19, and Jesus said to the Pharisees, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, Jesus uses an analogy of a wedding feast. Now, a wedding feast back then was a party. It lasted a whole week. Now, the bride and the bridegroom, they wouldn't go off into a honeymoon the way we see it now. They'd stay and party with them. And see, during that week, as long as the bridegroom was there with them, the guest did not have to fast. They didn't have to fast on Mondays and Thursdays because it wasn't a time of mourning. It was a time of celebration. And in this analogy that Jesus uses, he's saying, I am the bridegroom and the wedding guest. They're my disciples. And so I am with them. And because I am here, they do not have to fast. They do not mourn while I am here. Now, Jesus is not saying that fasting was wrong. That's not what he said. We read in the gospel that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Again, what he was saying is while the bridegroom is still here in the presence, in the presence of his bride, the church, no fasting is required. But then he says this, verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus was pointing forward to the day where he would ascend into heaven, where the bridegroom would be separated from his church, the bride, us. And until that day came, fasting was not required. But on that day, on that day, as a church, his bride, we should fast. I love what John Piper says about fasting. He says this, our fasting from food should be a reminder to us of our eager desire to be with our Savior. As our bodies long for food, so should our heart long to say, to see Jesus. Come, Lord, come. And so having said this, 
Jesus now is going to start to introduce what he's been trying to introduce of this newness, the gospel. And what he's going to do is give two analogies and say, look, the old, your old religious system is passing away. The new is coming. And he gives two analogies. First one, verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrinked cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Second analogy, and no one puts new wine into old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. What Jesus is saying, you cannot mix new material with old material. You couldn't, you shouldn't patch it because it's going to tear and it's going to create a bigger problem. He's saying you cannot pour new wine into old wine skin because the new wine is going to expand and the old wine skin is going to burst. Jesus was saying you cannot mix the law with the gospel. You cannot. You should not. Salvation was available through him and only him. Don't mix these rules and regulations that you have created with the truth, the true gospel. And this is why John writes in John 1 verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law given by God to Moses was fulfilled completely through Jesus Christ which introduced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't miss this, church. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you don't get anything else from this message, get this. The law cannot and will not save. The law points out our desperate need for salvation. That's what the law does. The commandments, it's not the sins. It's not a list of sins. The commandments are there to show us how sinful we are. The commandments are there to show us how impossible it is for any person to keep the law perfectly except for one, Jesus Christ. No one has ever been or will ever be saved through the law. And the Pharisees were teaching that. And Jesus was introducing the truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. See, church, religion says do. The gospel says done. Now, Mark, being Mark, who just switches things scene to, from scene to scene immediately, does the same thing, and he suddenly changes the scene to another day. Verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus is going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? As I read through the Gospels and I see these Pharisees, I think to myself, man, didn't they have anything better to do than to just follow Jesus and, and criticize him? Get a life, man. Wow. And so Jesus is running or walking through the grain field with his disciples. And they begin to pluck on the Sabbath so they could eat the wheat now, it's so important. Plucking on the Sabbath was not against the Mosaic law. Reaping was. And these Pharisees were saying, hey, hey, 
You're not plucking, you're reaping. Gotcha. Again, because they had added every law and rule that they could think of to the Sabbath. They had twisted the real meaning of what the Sabbath was all about. And the Sabbath originally, as it is today, should be a day of rest, a day of reflection, to think and thank God of his goodness, of what he has done and what he continues to do. But by this time, church, by this time, hundreds of years later, after the original Mosaic law, again, the, these Pharisees had added a long list of prohibitions, a long list of don'ts on the Sabbath, 1,500 to be exact. 1,500 of don'ts on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, the Mishnah, this document where they kept all these rules and regulations, just on the Sabbath, they had 39 categories and then subcategories of what not to do. I'm going to list a couple of those categories, okay? Here we go. There was no writing, erasing, cooking, washing, carrying, burning, extinguishing, sowing, tearing, knotting, planting, reaping, harvesting, building, digging, demolishing, tanning, grinding, washing, plowing, etc. Man, that's exhausting. And that's what the Pharisees wanted every single person not to do on the Sabbath. And so after these Pharisees point out to Jesus, to Jesus, hey, your disciples are breaking the law, Jesus responds to them by reminding them of Scripture. Verse 25, and he said to them, have you not read what Daniel, what David did? Duh, of course they had read it. They knew the Scripture. When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he, David, entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any to do, but the priest, only he could do that. And not only that, he also gave it to those who were with him. Guys, you know scripture. We say, you remember what happened on that day, what, what Samuel wrote? That David, trying to get away from Saul, him and his men come into the presence of the priest and they're hungry and they say, hey, can I have that bread? The bread of the presence. And the priest said, okay. Even though it was unlawful to do that, what Jesus was saying is this, you guys, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you've missed the point. You've missed the heart of the law. You missed the intent of the law. And then he says this, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If Jesus at this time, as he said this, was holding up a mic, this is what he would have done next. He would have dropped the mic. Boom. See, what Jesus did right then and there, I believe, is he was exposing some critical errors in these Pharisees' theology. Again, they had twisted everything of what the law was meant to do, the intent of the law. Three of these critical errors, I believe, that Jesus was pointing out were these. Number one, see, I believe the Pharisees had placed their customs before the word of God. Like I mentioned, they had elevated their oral tradition to be equal to God's word and sometimes above God's word. And the Pharisees on the Sabbath day would spend their day pointing at people who were breaking the law. If you look at it, they were working on the Sabbath because that takes work. You did it. You did it. You did it. 
They had missed it. The second critical error was that God gave laws to his people to bless them, not to burden them. And these Pharisees had again twisted this beautiful blessing of Sabbath and it had become a burden to them. And then lastly, the Sabbath was given by God. And therefore, the Sabbath can never be greater than God. I love what Moses writes in Exodus chapter 20 verse 11 concerning the Sabbath. He says this, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Who blessed the Sabbath day? The Lord, God. Who made it holy? God, the Lord. And Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man. This is my Sabbath. I have authority over it. Again, mic drop. And so now Jesus is going to demonstrate his, his authority over the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So Jesus goes back into town, probably Capernaum, and he goes into the synagogue. And he sees a man there. He sees a man with a withered hand, a paralyzed hand. Now, it's interesting. In the Gospel of Luke, we read the same incident. But Luke mentions something that's very interesting. Luke says that it was the man's right hand that was paralyzed. So I did some digging. I did some investigation. Why? Why does Luke mention the right hand and Mark doesn't? If you're taking notes... Write this down. Luke says that it was the man's right hand because it wasn't his left. <laughs> I don't know. Mark doesn't care about details. Luke does. There's no significant meaning. I think I got some of you, which is good. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and see, the Pharisees, again, they were trying to catch them. Catch Jesus. You're breaking the law. Your disciples are breaking the law. They were missing the whole point. And see, the Mishnah, these oral traditions, it did allow someone to heal a person on the Sabbath if it was life and death. But here, this man's hand being withered, being paralyzed, it wasn't a matter of life and death. So if Jesus was to heal him, according to their rules, Jesus was breaking the law. Verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So Jesus tells this man with the withered hand, come up here with me. And then he asks a rhetorical question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to give life or to kill? It's an obvious answer. Everybody there should have said, you know what? Yes, of course it's lawful on the Sabbath to do good instead of evil. Of course it should be lawful on the Sabbath to give life and not to kill. But no one said a word. I can only imagine the people there in the synagogue looking at the Pharisees, looking at Jesus, saying, oh, man, what's going to happen next? This is getting good. Watch what happens next. Verse 5. 
And Jesus looked around at the Pharisees, at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was healed. It was restored. After no one answering Jesus, he looks at the Pharisees, and it says that he looked around, he glanced at them, every single one of them. They're probably scattered throughout the synagogue. And they, he said to himself, really? It says he was angered. This is the only explicit reference to Jesus' anger in the New Testament. But it wasn't a malicious anger. He was angry because these Pharisees had their hearts hardened. He was grieved. He was thinking to himself, really? Don't you get it? Don't you understand? And so Jesus heals this man's hand on the Sabbath. And this is what happens next. Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus was grieved that they didn't get it. They didn't understand the true meaning of the gospel. They had missed it. These Pharisees depended on the law to be saved. These Pharisees taught everyone that they must need to keep the law in order to be saved. And church, unfortunately, this false teaching is still being taught today. And Paul writes this. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified, is not made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed, have trusted Christ Jesus in order to be justified. By, justified. He says it again, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Repeats himself, because by works of the law, no one, no one, no one. No one will be justified. Later on in verse 19, he says this, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am a new creation. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and died for me. Who loves you and died for you. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Religion teaches that you must keep on doing. And if you believe that, then what you're saying in your hearts is that his sacrifice was not enough. It wasn't sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. Paul also writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. And then John, John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Think about this for just a moment, church. The creator of all things, Jesus Christ, stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law perfectly. 
He came to serve and not to be served. He humbled himself. And after being here for three, over our mission for three years, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the disciples whom he chose betrayed him, left him alone. He was arrested. He was beaten beyond recognition. And then he was made to carry his own cross for miles. Then he was nailed to that cross. And as he hung there, he took his last breath and said, it is finished. Done. Finished. In Greek is taleo. He said, it is taleo. Which has two meanings in Greek. One of them is, the debt has been paid. The other meaning is a military term which says, the battle has been won. And as Jesus hung on the cross and said, taleo, it is done. It's been fully paid. The wrath which you and I deserve because of our sin was taken care of. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, Taleo, it is done. He said that it was over. Sin and death was done. He had defeated it once and for all. And that's why, church, there's a huge difference between religion and the gospel. Because religion says, do. And the gospel says, done. Once and for all. Taleo. Complete. Before April 2007, before I truly understood the gospel, my salvation was based on my works. And then I realized the truth, that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Before church, before I truly understood the gospel, my life was once trying, and now my life is trusting. Before the gospel, I followed all these religious rules, and now I just follow Jesus Christ. It's not about a religion, church. It's about a relationship with Christ. I didn't get that. Before understanding the gospel, I thought of myself as being a good guy. I'm not too bad. But then I realized how sinful I am. And how much I need a Savior. Church, before understanding the gospel, I would only hope to be saved one day. But now, I stand before you without a single doubt that I am saved. Not by my work, but by His. What about you? Are you hoping that one day you will be saved? do you know without a doubt that you have been saved? Are you still trying to do or do you believe in your heart that it has been done for you? Because if you're still trying to do, I need to ask you, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of walking on eggshells? And if you are, come to Him and receive that promise that He gives anyone believes in him. Matthew 11 verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light let's pray Father we thank you for your son Jesus Christ who did come for the sinners us Father, my prayer, as always, is that if anyone does not truly understand that good news, the gospel, if anyone here hearing my voice today doesn't truly understand the meaning behind that, I pray that the Holy Spirit moves in their hearts to soften their hearts so they can truly understand what has been done for them, that they no longer have to do no longer have to be good enough because they will never be good enough but what they have to do is trust on the one that was good enough for them Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior if anyone here has not come to him and repent repented of their sins I pray that they do so so that burden can be lifted off of them I pray that they surrender to you father and they can receive rest the rest that every single one of us is longing for. The rest that only your son Jesus Christ can provide. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. I love you, church. Have a blessed week.